Hello and welcome to another installment of the Y Football Podcast with me, Michael Dryden, and Eches Adoku. On this episode, in light of Frank Lampard's recent sacking as Chelsea manager and replaced by Thomas Tuchel, we discuss whether managers are afforded enough time at the top of the game. Before we start, please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and YouTube. Hello, Eches, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Jordan. How you doing, mate? You right? Yeah, not, not much is going on uh, as per last week. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> as per the last eight or so weeks, like, yeah, oh, we're up to, mate. Uh, not a lot. Um, yeah, right, watching, cool. a, watching a little bit of football. Uh, that's it, really. Uh, hoping the Euros is on, but that's basically been the narrative for the last few weeks. So, <laughs> you've glossed, we'll gloss over this section. <laughs> you've repeated that sentence about ten times. <laughs> well, it's the only thing I'm looking forward to. I look forward to my takeaway on a Saturday night now, and I look forward to potentially England playing in the Euros but but it might be it might be in London more of the games might be in London if if uh, if things go that way which would be quite interesting but then again we can't attend football matches so it doesn't matter where it is but I just want to be on our screen soon so we can see Kane lift the Euro trophy yeah he got that um, ankle knock the other day didn't he apparently yeah. his ankles are in a bit of disarray at the moment apparently it's both of them but uh, he could basically, he was carrying an injury in the right, the left got hit and then he was just like, you know what, I can't uh, do this. So hopefully that's not too serious because he always gets his annual uh, ankle injury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he always does. I mean, yeah, it's bittersweet because obviously you never want to see players injured um, when he's out of the team. Tottenham play worse, which makes me happier. However, it also, <laughs> however, it also impacts in England. So you don't really want to see him out for too long. No, absolutely. So let's just get onto this topic. Frank Lampard has been relieved of his duties at Chelsea. Um, and today we discuss managerial sackings in general are managers afforded enough time but why this episode yes obviously the nail on the hand is frank lampard recently lost his job which we've said now for the fourth or fifth time um (laughs) in about two minutes but it just to let everyone know just to keep reiterating it that frank lampard has actually lost his job um but the reason why i wanted to do an episode on it is because you know he's actually been the 23rd football league casualty this season um he did quite a good job last year getting chosen to the top four um, because they had the transfer embargo and he was like seen as this messiah who was like yep. the, the pride of English football because, you know, English managers have struggled for top jobs mostly because of their archaic views towards football. But, you know, there is a new breed now that are uh, uh, quite forward thinking. You know, you look at Graham Potter, uh, Bournemouth, yep. Eddie yep. Howe beforehand. And yep. I know he's not actually English, but, you know, British managers like Brendan Rodgers, etc. You can kind of see there's a bit of a turn for some of the younger English coaches. So for Lamp, Lamps to be in that job was a big deal. He blooded lots of youngsters. You know, you got Rhys James, fantastic player, suspect haircut. Uh, Mason Mount had a fantastic. <laughs> Mason Mount. Why is it suspect? You know what it was? He had a really good hairstyle, right? Where he had like the, the dreads in black, and then this season he dyed them blonde, and it's like it you just, don't like peroxide blonde, do you? Uh, no, I don't. Yeah, Wesley Fofana, mate. <laughs> I haven't seen. I haven't seen his hair recently. Funnily enough, I watched Leicester against Everton, but I can't remember his hairstyle. So I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to Google it after this. But yeah, Wesley Fofana, big no. Kylian Mbappe, big no. Mario Riccardi, big no. Actually, they're, like, they're all they're all PSG players. We're You're talking about hair. archaic English managers, and you actually you and Big Sam have got the same views on football appearances. You gotta have a two. Uh, wait, two on top, one on the sides, and black boots. That's all I want, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
toilet party line. <laughs> um, but yeah, Vesa Vert also had a positive season as well as Tammy Abraham, uh, you know, as well. I wasn't a big fan of his, but he did quite well. Yeah. But then, however, this summer, you, you got the sense of there's big pressure on Lampard's shoulders and that's not his fault. I think that's really important. Like fans seem to believe that Lampard has said, hey, I would like 10 players on my first team because, you know, that that's just the way it is. I think in modern football now, a lot of the time the clubs say, we're going to sign, who do you need? Okay, I need three players. Right, we're also going to sign these three other players because that's what we think we need. And yeah. here we are. So the little the influx of Ziyech, you know, Havertz, Werner, to name a few. And that unfortunately brought a level of expectation, which ultimately led to Lampard's dismissal. You know, lots of comments from managers and other quarters are giving him sympathy. You know, the press argued he deserved more time. Yeah. But, but but what is enough time? You know, a lot of the time with management, you know, managers have short tenures in general and we don't have a crystal ball to see what it would have been like if they'd stayed. And, you know, managers are getting less and less time. But why is that? Yeah, I think a mid-season managerial change, as we saw at Sunderland a few times, uh, is often when they've hit the panic buttons and thought, well, actually, in this particular season, we need change. Because if you don't care about, well, I suppose you'd always care about your current season, but if you were less bothered and were happy to wait until the summer to rebuild, which is the more logical approach, then you would just hang on, wouldn't you? But I think with a mid-season change, it's like, well, we're currently sitting in exposition. We're doing so well in the Cups and we need to change that quite immediately. So <laughs> yeah. I think that's often their approach. But I always get the impression with Frank as well, not to like dwell on Frank, I've mentioned his name a few times already, but I get the impression he was brought in at arguably the wrong time for Chelsea. So he's brought in pre-COVID at a time when Chelsea were in, in an embargo. Obviously, they were always aware they'd come out of that and might have always been aware that when they do come out of that, they would have funds to spend. However, the COVID situation almost presented an opportunity where Chelsea were able to spend at a time when no one else was. So mm. you almost had this, this situation where... Do you, I mean, personally, I don't necessarily think Havertz at the time was the hottest property in Europe, and Chelsea, a big club in a big club in the in the echelons of football in Europe, but he was linked with Real Madrid, and they're not on that level in terms of brand, in terms of skill generally. But because of COVID, they suddenly were given this opportunity where they could purchase someone like Havertz. They get someone like Werner. I know Werner was a, a release clause fee, so arguably the the amount was always fixed, but. From a wage point of view, other clubs might have said actually no to that because they needed to plan because of COVID. Whereas they, Chelsea, were able to sign these players. And I wonder if, in hindsight, Frank was the wrong man because the, if had they known they were going to have this opportunity to bring in these stars, would they have went for a more experienced manager from the outset? That's that's a really good point. And and also just the final point of Frank Lampard. I, I read the Athletic article as to why he got let go, and this point actually made me burst out laughing. I read that. Um, <laughs> Apparently, this is when you know that sometimes, you know, inside sources has got to be garbage because apparently um, Frank Lampard's job was uh, said to be in risk or at risk if he asked or requested for Declan Rice to be signed once more. Yeah, I saw, I saw the headline. I didn't read the outcome. I saw the headline. Like, as, if he's just, as if he's just like every morning parading Marina Gronowski and Abraham on WhatsApp saying, Oh, signed signed Rice yet? <laughs> that can't be true. Imagine uh, we've had to relieve Lampard of his duties because he's requested for a particular player, uh, which he rejected. Yeah, he wants to, he wants to sell uh, N'Golo Kante and replace him with Declan Rice. Absolutely disgraceful. Yeah, it's uh, got to be absolute <laughs> nonsense. But uh, that's my last bit on Frank Lampard. <laughs> Fair enough. So moving on to the wider topic. So how long do you managers get to top the game? 
So back in 2009-2010 of the Championship, the average time for a second-tier manager was roughly 561 mm. days. Jordan, I know you're not very good at math, so that equates to one year yep. and six months, one ah, week and six days. No worries. Just in case, I'll give you a few seconds to write. That. <laughs> I'll give you a few seconds to write that one down. Uh, so while you know there's been a drop off of about you know six months or so, you know it kind of pales in comparison to the decline of the Premier League. So on average, in the 2019-2020 uh, championship season, the average manager lasted for 374 days, which is equivalent to one year, one week, and two days. That's li- like less than half the average of a lifespan of a Premier League manager at the yeah. same starting point, you know, in the 2019-2020 season. So if you flip it to the Premier League, this is a little bit skewed because of uh, Wenger and Ferguson at the time, but uh, in 2009-2010, the average lifespan of a Premier League boss was 1,301 days, which is three years, at six months, three weeks, and two days. Um, yeah. But then in the 2019-2020 season, that then dropped to 789 days, which is the equivalent of two years, eight weeks, and three days. Strong maths. Very strong maths indeed. But, you know, it's kind of just showing how it's got shorter and shorter as time has gone on. Yep. Um, but, you know, it's it's a trend which isn't really slowing down. It seems to be as more and more time has gone on and resources have kind of increased, the pressure to succeed has also increased, which means there's more managerial changes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think Lampard was an interesting one because it was seen as a project uh, and we didn't expect that sucking because we assumed that Chelsea were in a position where they were ready to give someone some time, but the short-term incentives of the Premier League, which is getting more and more the case as the TV deals spread out across the world and the amount of money that is received from entering or finishing in certain positions in the league and entering Europe becomes greater than the need to have short-term success, short-term success is, is obviously greater. So I wonder if that's the reason why mm. we're starting to see that decline because maybe you mentioned 2009-10, Obviously, that is a time when the Premier League had already been established in our lives. However, the more we go on, the more these TV deals are quite lucrative. I think it was the mid of the 2010s we saw that really significant jump when BT got involved, especially where we we saw the jump in terms of TV revenue, and that's created this kind of it. It also like kind of drops down to the EFL, right? So there's incentives to be in the Premier League, to stay in the Premier League, and also to do well in the Premier League from a European perspective. But then it also means that being in the Premier League is lucrative, so teams at the bottom need to spend money and to sack their managers to stay in the league. And then if you're in the Championship, then you'll do the same. You'll spend money you don't have. We saw the likes of Villa and Sheffield United run almost 100, over 100% of their uh, revenue was spent on wages, for example, when they got promoted to get into the Premier League because that incentive is so great. So why do you think Eche's clubs adopt this method of the revolving door? You know, so this this podcast came about because of uh, he who shall not be named getting the boots. Um, but the... <laughs> I mentioned I mentioned him again. <laughs> but you know, um, I think Chelsea is a good example. Um, kind of highlight why clubs exactly do this. So since Ranieri's departure in two thousand and four, Chelsea have had twelve different managers at the club. That yet that has yielded so much success for the club, where they've won eighteen honours in seventeen years. You know, that includes five league titles, one Champions League, one Europa League, five FA Cups, alongside other trophies as well, which has been such an impressive haul. And, you know, another high-profile club like Real Madrid are equally ruthless in their approach where they chop and change managers. They've had 16 appointments since the year 2000. 
They've won seven La Ligas, two Copa del Reyes, and six Champions Leagues in that time. And essentially, with Chelsea alongside Real Madrid, you know, any manager that doesn't win a title is nearly shipped on within a year slash 18 months, which, you know, it it all feeds into the argument of, you know, why do clubs, you know, work in this manner? You know, are managers given enough time? Uh, On on another scale, you know, you've got clubs like Watford who have had eight managers appointed since 2015. And you you could argue they've been promoted in that time and they've also been relegated in that time. So it's not just the top clubs doing that. You know, they famously sacked the manager that got them promoted to the Premier League, which was Slavisa Djokovic. And, you know, that typifies their approach where it's so cutthroat. You know, promotion ultimately was their aim, yet the guy that takes him there is ultimately relieved of his duty so quickly. And you wonder, you know, if they're doing it, Real Madrid are doing it, Chelsea are doing it, you know, why are so many clubs opting for this method? You know, you can see the success, but could they not have had similar success if they stuck with some of those names? Yeah, possibly, yeah. Uh, what for example of a club that have actually been quite proactive in terms of their changes as well? So they've actually sacked managers when they've been doing quite well. I mean... Uh, unfortunately, a Sunderland fan, and we've we are the biggest example of a club that every single season we were in the Premier League, we sacked a manager. We thought that when they came in, they did well. That meant that there was a new dawn every season, <laughs> it, like probably about seven or eight times, hmm. and that dawn never came because they come in it in probably January or late December. They signed players in January for the rest of the season. They galvanise the squad and the whole squad reacts because they've got a new manager coming in. That you know their their career now depends on their performance under this manager, who they've never probably played under before. They do well because that, that galvanised galvanising period happens. They stay up, and then the board thinks this manager actually now is the man who's going to take us forward. We're going to win the Premier League in five years, and then the same thing happens. <laughs> and then yeah. they leave, and then these players that they brought in, who were expecting to play under this manager, are no longer there. And you create this squad of players that don't aren't brought in by that manager, aren't kind of loyal to him, and they they then want to move on, and it just creates a mess of a club. You're paying severance fees, you're paying for players that are, don't want to be there. Ends up in a situation where you end up in debt, and then you end up like Sutherland in your League One. So <laughs> basically, that's, uh, all roads, all roads, all avenues lead to Sunderland, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we're talking about the we're talking about the demise of a football club. The example that I'll always bring up is is the uh, is the great Sunderland football club. But yeah, but you're you're completely right. I mean, Watford are a great example. They're now in the Championship, not doing too badly, not on the path that Sunderland are on, arguably. Um, but it, they're an example of a club that has a revolving door and it is not sustainable. And I get the impression that he should not be named was brought in because he was booking the trend they want to book the trend I don't think any owner regardless of how successful it has been for Chelsea even though it has been successful because they've won so much in the 2010s um, no, surely no owner wants to be paying severance fees no owner wants to be constantly having to make a structural change to their management to bring success so I, I think they tried to book the trend but it just didn't work and the thing is that the key question kind of is why so you know we're aware clubs doing this you know it's very obvious to anyone who follows football but why is kind of the question and it's simply not a pressure to win I think you know the sums of money in the game are only increasing you know they're huge now it's not just about prize money so coming fifth or winning the league yeah it's yeah. about potential sponsorship deals you know they want to be associated with Premier League champions they want to be associated with the Premier League club they want to be associated with Europa League winners you know cup winners so that's extremely important tours as well you know if you're going to go to Zambia to promote football and you're Bournemouth 
it's much better if Bournemouth have won the league than Bournemouth that are just chilling in yeah. the championship. And, you know, that all matters. And success also helps on the pitch in terms of the personnel. You know, you want to try and sign players. It's very easy for clubs like United, Chelsea and City to do so, even Liverpool. But for those breaking into that category, like Leicester, you know, the player profile of player that Leicester can get if they get European football would be great yeah. than if they don't have yeah. it. And, you know, that's why it's so important. The pressure is so intense for these clubs to succeed. You know, Chelsea and Real Madrid also, on the on the side of these managerial changes, have spent huge fees on players. You've got Eden Hazard moving for $130 million when he had yeah. one year left in his contract. You've got Chelsea paying a world record fee for a goalkeeper. And that's... That, 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 that drive and that those high fees need to be paid off with success. You can't have uh, three of the world's most expensive players and come ninth. You know, you can't. <laughs> yeah. you can't it, just, it just doesn't work that way. Um, you know that that's the risk of that spending is so high that success has to be delivered because you don't want to become a Leeds. I mean, Leeds obviously mismanage their finances. Yeah. But you also just don't. You know, you can't survive if you miss European football and you have the three world's most expensive players with the three biggest contracts in the world. Then it's unsustainable for your club. I think also as well, fans are really important as well in the era of social media. What you get now is anyone can have an opinion, which is fantastic, but it adds to the pressure. You know, you can sign a player within three weeks; he's useless. Yeah, you, know, you yeah. look at Williams not played well for Arsenal, for example, but look how far his stock's fallen. Fans want him out. Now, if the pressure gets that intense, whether it's, you know, people boycotting games like Liverpool fans due to prices or Mike Ashley fans or sorry, um, Mike Ashley enemies at Newcastle, <laughs> and then that can really weigh on the owner's mind and they can be, you know, they can act. And I think that's another thing as well is the presence of fans via social media or whether it's at stadiums, they're becoming more impatient. And, you know, that increases uh, pressure on the board to succeed, hence these managerial chop and changes. Yeah, no, absolutely. With with Chelsea as well, there's been an argument made that with the fans in place, they might have done a lot better because he might have, <laughs> it might have led to, well, he's an ex-Chelsea player. He's obviously came in to galvanise the squad and there's an argument that he, they would have done better with, with fans. But then arguably you could punt the argument at any club in the league. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, the final point we're going to, we're going to touch on now is, is that always the right approach? Is the revolving door always the right approach? We've seen at Chelsea that it has brought some success. I mean, the 2010s, in terms of an English football league club, a Premier League club, they've arguably, it's a bold shout, not in terms of number of titles, but in terms of the variety of titles they've won, they've arguably been the most successful Premier League club in that 2010 era, arguably, because they won the Champions League. And at the start of that decade, they won the Europa League, beat Arsenal in Bacau. And they won the Premier League on a couple of occasions at Conte and Mourinho. Is it the right approach or will it become unstuck? I think there's, there's clearly a trend, which is managers are getting shorter and shorter tenure. We had Bob Bradley came for America and he lasted like how many games was it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about him. Yeah, 13 or something games. Same with Remy Gard at Villa. You know, these guys came in and got rid of so quickly. I think the pressure is too intense that, it, you know, is it always the right approach? I think the pressure will only increase with the money that's in the game. So whether it's always the right approach, you'll never know because you don't have a crystal ball where we can then reverse it and see what would have happened if, you know, we didn't or they didn't sack a certain manager. You know, yeah. you know sticking with managers can have loads of benefits. You know, the great Sir Alex Ferguson, even though he's in a different era, took four years to win his first trophy as United manager. You know, if he was in a different era, that would have, you know, he would have been sacked. Yeah, definitely, 100%, yeah. 
A more recent example is Ralph Hasenhuttle. He's uh, at Southampton after a poor run of form. You know, he was backed by the owners and he's seen, he's since seen a huge upturn in form, which led to him being linked with the Chelsea job. And, you know, there's also an argument whether results are everything, which they ultimately are in football, because obviously what I don't want is hundreds of people or maybe just Phil and his dog telling me <laughs> telling me that, you know, results are everything in football because I'm aware of that. But, you know, you need to kind of see past that. You know, a good example is someone like maybe, I'm trying to think of an example, but Emery, for example, at Arsenal was one point off fourth place, which would have been a good season. But overall, the football was quite poor. And yeah. what ultimately happened was, is he was fortunate with some results in the second year, Arsenal got worse and then collectively it, it was a shit show. And I think one of the problems that you kind of have is managers offer so much more in terms of philosophy, you know, a culture, an academy. You could also argue that there are hundreds of people in Premier League jobs that also influence this as well. But I think the manager has such a huge say on it. You know, if you take away Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp from Manchester uh, Manchester City and Liverpool, I think the clubs would be very different places. And, yeah. you know, managers, you, you kind of have to look at the whole picture of what is the manager providing for you and can they turn it around? Because often as well, it's like, yeah, you know, if we get in a firefighter manager, so you're big Sams, that's all well said and done. But there has to be a point where you, you go back to that manager you want to push you forwards. Yeah, and I think what, I, happens, what, happens, what, happens next, what happens next season? It's, it's a model at Sunderland, isn't it? What, what happens next season when Sam is arguably not there and when he leaves like he did at Palace or Sunderland? <laughs> what yeah. happens next season? I think all the big clubs actually at the moment, in particular Man United and in particular Arsenal, highlight really how long-term appointments can really help you. You know, Pochettino left Spurs in a very good place after five years you know, they've had some investment and the club looks settled. But then when you look at clubs like Arsenal and Man United, you see teams with glaring holes in certain positions and you wonder why that is. But then when you chop and change managers, managers with different ideas, managers with different yeah. player personnel, you know, different board structures in Arsenal's case, then you get lopsided squads. And that's why you go from a transition of Pochettino to Mourinho where it was quite smooth. I know initially it wasn't, but the player personnel was quite smooth to Arsenal where we come in, we didn't have one left foot to centre-half. We now <laughs> we now have eight centre-backs, but we, we have three right-backs, but then only one left-back. So, you know, it's, it's things like that which happens when you continuously change management where it can get quite muddled. And I think, you know, that's kind of important with longer-term appointments. You look at Pep and you look at Gjorgen uh, Klopp and you see how settled their squads are. And that is one of the benefits of long-term appointments but ultimately you know football is a results business and how can you ever be truly sure you have the right man a good example is um oh who's that guy at um what's it called uh everton what was his name i've forgotten now oh uh, uh marco silver marco silver so marco silver was at watford he was a golden boy then everton tried to game there was a whole tribunal thing didn't happen he left watford everton got him in he gets sacked from Everton. And it, it, it kind of highlights this whole thing of Everton thought for maybe one or two years he was their guy. And ultimately, when they brought him in, he, he wasn't up to the job for a variety of reasons. And, and that's kind of the problem with football is how can you... Boards and clubs are too uncertain too often of whether they truly have the right man in place. And they fear, you know, whether it's relegation or missing on European places, that if they don't have the right man, then the club will really suffer as a result. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking at Wikipedia now because Marco Silva's a name that I've not seen 
in <laughs> in the press or in the footballing uh, fraternity for a long time, and it doesn't seem like he's had a club since Everton. There was talk because prior to being at Watford and Hull, he'd been at Estoril, Sporting, and Olympiacos, and it hadn't worked out. They, he basically had been there for a short amount of time, and they're arguably big in their respective countries. They're big jobs. So Sporting is a big club in Portugal. Olympiacos is a, is a huge club in Greece. He spent a season at each, and then there was talk of well. What does this represent? Can he cut it back at the top? Everton are a lot bigger than Watford and Hull in terms of the Premier League currently, or even when he became manager. He hasn't seen to have a job since. But yeah, it's an interesting point you make. And I mean, it was one thing to always, I know I steer to the bottom of the Premier League because I've often been found there as a fan, but Burnley are an example of a, a club that have retained their manager and it's benefited quite well. So when you're, when you're 18th in the Premier League and there's 15 games to go, you know, a lot, a lot of the time it can be easier to sack your manager, take that maybe 10, 15 million pound hit in terms of the conversation fee, if that's how much it is. And then, especially if it's during the window, you bring some more players in as well. If you've got the money to do so, you can do that. And then you can bring in a different approach and you could arguably stay up. It could happen. Yep. Uh, and that retains your Premier League status. But as I mentioned earlier, what happens the season after? You brought in this firefighter and then suddenly he's the person bringing your club forward. Is that the right man? And someone like Burnley, they retained Dyche when they got relegated a few seasons ago. They then came back up under Dyche and look at them now. They're doing pretty well. I mean, they're not going to win the Premier League in any stage. They're not going to probably qualify for Europe. They've just been bought out actually by an American uh, business, which arguably adds to my point because retaining Dyche has seemingly done so well for them that they've retained in the league, um, retained the Premier League, and they've now been bought out. So the club, in theory, could grow. And that is directly, in, in my opinion, directly attributable attributable to retaining Daesh and come back into the league if Burnley were currently a mid-table championship team because they'd done a Watford, even though they're not doing too bad, then would they be bought out? Probably not. And we'd see a club that hasn't necessarily got big infrastructure and previous wealth that could quite easily just drop down and be a mid-table championship club with the wrong manager in charge. And now they've arguably just potentially sustained their, sustained their Premier League future with this new ownership. And by retaining Daesh, clubs like Sunderland sack their manager because they thought by staying in the league they'd retain the revenue of being in the league and then that in, in itself would benefit the club and grow the club and then you've also got this situation where you mentioned how much Chelsea have spent and we're all aware of that and then even at the bottom of the leagues these clubs spend money a lot of these clubs are spending money that they don't have and they spend money well not necessarily they don't have but they're spending money they're spending for the future, right? So they're spending 50 million on the basis that they do X, Y, Z, they get promoted to the Premier League or they stay in the Premier League or they qualify for Europe. If that doesn't happen, the club has spent money invested, the owner has spent money invested, it becomes a debt to the club and they can't then recoup the money that they've spent because they spent that on the basis that if I sign these three players, I'll end up in the Europa League or the Champions League. It doesn't happen. And then the club is then riddled with that debt. And then at the bottom of the leagues, that creates problems because these clubs aren't as wealthy and these owners are more impatient. So at Sunderland, our owner got fed up. He was just writing off checks every year because the club was running operational loss as well as running a loss on the pitch because we were signing rubbish players. He got fed up. He wrote off the de- debt in the end, but then he then sold the club and now we're in League One. It's 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 a very slippery slope because this you know, no owner gives money to the club. It becomes a debt to the club. And at the end of the day, it's the, it's the fans and the club and the stakeholders, the local stakeholders that are left to pick up the pieces when it all goes wrong. It's a very damning indictment. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I think it's, I think it's, just, it's a good, 
it's an interesting point or an interesting topic to discuss at both ends of the of the league table. Right, well, that's that's all from us uh, this week. Thank you, Richards, for uh, the good insights on the revolving door at many football clubs in modern football and the reason second of he should not be named Frank Lampard. Uh, <laughs> thank you all for listening. Uh, continue to subscribe with us and follow us on our platforms. And yeah, thank you very much, guys. We'll see you next week. Brilliant. Cheers, guys. Cheers.